Queen City Nerves News Hounds is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to a new episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds. This is Ryan Pitkin, Editor-in-Chief, with my co-host as usual, Justin LaFrancois. Yep. What's going on, man? I'm tired. God, um, I wish you'd stop talking. It's been a while. Yeah. I'm fucking tired. Justin takes up, there. just chews up the, the I've, time. I've got 11 hours left of work to do today still. <laughs> and we are here with two of Charlotte's best food writers. One is a Queen City Nerve contributor. One is a... Dream list for me. I, I still want to get her on as a Queen City Nerve contributor one of these days. We have Kathleen Purvis. Hey. Long history of food writing here in Charlotte. Yeah, I'm just the oldest one. What do we say? Uh, <laughs> Charlotte Observer for a long time. Charlotte Observer for many, many years. Uh, took a buyout. Now I'm a very poor, struggling freelance writer like the rest of you. Also so. an author. Author. A, three books. Yeah. I was going to say two. Damn it. No, three. And working on a fourth. Working on a fourth. It's not about food. Right. We can talk about that a little bit if you're, I don't know Doesn't mind. what Doesn't the timeline is, if you're allowed yeah. to or not. Yeah, no, okay. it's, it's good. And we also have Timothy DePew, Hello. Queen City Nerve contributor, mm. author of our latest cover story on The Good Worst Company. Mm, the Very Good Worst Company. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, so good. I'm so glad you so liked amazing. it. So amazing. Oh my gosh. How, how's it been, Tim- Timothy? How's Do it? I go with Tim or Timothy? You can call me Tim. We've talked so many times over the phone and stuff, but we've never actually met in person. So I know. It's kind of time. intimidating. I'm sitting next right. to Kathleen. Like, I, right. I, I don't know how to compose myself right now. I've, yes. I've known <laughs> Kathleen's work for so many years, and, I don't, and I've not met either one of you. So I'm looking forward what? to just sort of uh, shooting the first the shit day about too. food. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Right. Cool. Uh, me and Tim met on Thanksgiving. That we is did. true. You got me drunk, and was we were like... Up. Hanging out with the drag queens, right. giving Thanksgiving dinners out. <laughs> it was biggest fantastic. Fear. <laughs> uh, I do know Justin. I've met Justin before. Ugh, take uh, it back. <laughs> <laughs> Just to sort of hop into things, we'll talk about a little bit about this cover story because mm. it was one of those. It's the worst story we've had on the cover. <laughs> oh, no, the good worst story. So Did many we puns. Get Frank in it. <laughs> so many. <laughs> So many puns in all of our social media comments. That's, really? I haven't even looked at the social media I've been waiting for the review. I've been watching the worst is I the best. I love that place. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I actually had the pleasure of showing it to them on my phone yesterday when I showed up oh, for really? lunch. Um, okay. They were very excited. Also, Justin and I should pass along. They really want to drop off. Um, uh-huh. Really want a paper spot. No, this is just one of those pieces. Okay. You've written a couple like this before where it's mm. just sort of like, I don't know. You explain how you how you go about it because you were like you you even pitched it to me like just one of those weird stories where I'm just sort of reviewing the food while talking about my life. Yeah, no, and I think somebody somebody made this comment to me once before about a review I had written. I think for Labelle Helene, and they were just coming at me. Oh, you're so unhinged. You're so unhinged. But I kind of like latched on to that word unhinged. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the mindset I have to get in to write about these places, especially these past like few weeks or month or so. I mean, it's been horrible, like with, you know, COVID-19 coming back or n- never leaving in the first place and all this drama I have going on in this place I was living in in my day job. And it's just all of that was just so much. And then I found this food by chance, like on Uber Eats. And it was just the most glorious, like the <laughs> that tater tot with the salt and the cheese. And it kind of made me unhinged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think all of that building up, and, and I hadn't been writing for so long either, mm-hmm. right? It kind of just all came pouring out. So I'm like, okay, this is now I feel like I can write again. And I'm going to write about 
sausage. <laughs> right. Darling, yes, tell ma'am. me you got the Reuben fries. I got the Reuben fries, the Reuben tots, oh, the I love, I love fries. their pastrami with those crunchy little edges. Yes, yes, right. yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Just like the fat. The yes, just, mm. yes. I have a serious obsession with pastrami. Yes. So. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Who was it? I think Carrie, our digital editor, told me while she was editing through that story that she had never eaten a Reuben before, which is crazy <gasps> to me. Oh, how sad. Any Reuben. It is sad. Oh, um, I feel bad for her. And the that year she's missed. Yeah. <laughs> Neither have I. The fact, you, you have haven't had a, in my entire life. You never had Reuben. Oh. Have you had pastrami? Because yes. you understand yeah. that the yes. reason, and I'm, I could get in huge trouble for saying this. Oh, I hope I do. <laughs> but I've had this theory for a long time that the reason Jewish people do not eat bacon, they don't have to. They have pastrami. Right. <laughs> pastrami <laughs> is bacon uh, times 100. Yeah. I just, you know. It's, I've definitely, I, I mean, I grew up in New York, so pastrami was on all kinds of sandwiches and stuff. Wait, and so you never, never went to, what's the great place in Katz's, New York? The uh, Katz's. Katz's. Uh, I've, I've, only, I've only been to the city like one time in my entire life. So uh, I lived okay. outside of the uh, state. Uh, but even no. still, pastrami. Bridge and tunnel crowd. <laughs> yeah. I had to make when you walked but, in. Uh, <laughs> but pastrami was just all over the place. But no, I've never had a Best pastrami in North Carolina, Matt's Deli in Chapel Hill. Really? Yes. I will go in there and get a half a pound and just use it as car snack and (laughs) see what's left when I get home. That's hot. Yeah. That's hot. Yeah. Well, I know how to turn a guy on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The funny part about editing that story is I called uh, called up there. Because they have on their menu Reuben's fries, and it's spelled R-U-B-E-N. Yeah. And then they have a Reuben sandwich spelled as the Reuben usually is spelled. And oh. I just was so confused. It's like, are they doing this on purpose? And I was texting Tim. I hadn't heard back yet, so I said, fuck it, I'll call him. And uh, he answered, and I was like, hey, I'm just editing an article about your, pl- your place. I'm just curious about something. You spell Reuben fries, and he's like, it's a typo. We, <laughs> we know about the typo. Good eye for right. that. I'm um, surprised I hadn't noticed. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah. To edit people? No, to edit Reuben. people. Menu, I know how that Reuben changed their it's words. Like, it's like yeah. an obsession. Right. You know? I've, I've printed many a menu at many a restaurants I've worked at. And if somebody told me there was a typo, I'd be like, I would, I didn't know how to spell it. Even <laughs> no, if I fucking no chef knows just, how to spell. <laughs> I love them dearly, but they, they can cook, but they can't spell. <laughs> I'd type this up in some template, just hit print. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hand it off to somebody else. Shit. Laminate, I don't want to hear it. Laminate this and hand it out. <laughs> <laughs> so Kathleen, how did you sort of get into this gig? Were you in the food industry before that? Or no, just, I, I came from a family where everybody loved to cook. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we did in my family. That was mm-hmm. our, language was cooking but actually i started out as what we call a hard news reporter you know i used i used to hate the hard news soft news thing but i was um golly moses i've had a lot of jobs uh i've been a copy editor night desk and day desk i've been a wire editor i've been a police reporter i've been a believe it or not an interior design writer at one point which was hilarious interesting (laughs) and when i was at the observer i came to the observer to work on the night layout desk which was terrible hours um and a really rough job but i i started going home at night and if i read the paper at night, when I got home, I wouldn't get up on time. The next morning, I'd sleep in. So the only exception I would make is I would take home the food section with me when the pre-runs, you know, the early run sections came up. And I would find myself sitting there in the middle of the night and reading a lot of this copy and thinking, 
why is it because I like to read food, I have to have my intelligence insulted? Mm. Because so much of food writing then, I mean, we're talking, you know, mid 80s. And so much of food writing at that time was still kind of a holdover in sound and feel from the 50s and the 60s. And, you know, people thought that food writing was dead because women weren't coming home to cook. Their kids were, you know, they were working as they needed to be. But I just really started to get interested in the idea of using food as a way to tell stories. And so I went to the observer, my editors, the observer and said, you know, nobody's editing the food section. They were just filling it. They were getting ready to kill the food section. Was it like syndicated basically? Yeah, they were filling it with stuff off the wires and Mm -hmm. they were getting ready to kill it because grocery store advertising was starting to go away. And I went to them and said, please give me this section. I can do something with this. And it took like six years for me to get them to let me have it as a full-time beat. Right. I had to just keep doing more and more and more and showing them what could be done. And, and that's how he became a food writer. Could you imagine? Because <laughs> nobody else wanted the job. I know. Could you imagine somebody killing a food section today? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It's like the most way. engaging stuff that <laughs> yeah. people love. Well, unfortunately, that is what happened when I took the buyout and left. Right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they yeah. weren't doing food coverage anymore mm-hmm. in a way that I understood it and recognized it. Right. And so it, it was, I started realizing, okay, it's time to go. I'm not getting to tell stories anymore. And that's what I do. Right. Well, let me ask you this. When you would take that food section home by itself in the middle of the night, does that not lead to like binging in the middle of the night? Because <laughs> No, honey, I was doing other stuff that led okay. binging in the middle that's, of the night. <laughs> so binging something or other. I grew up in the seventies. Right. Do you think? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I live in the seventies at night sometimes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, I, it was a great time. <laughs> I always edit the food section last because I know like when we're doing final, final edits on the paper, right before we send it to print, that's the last thing I read because I know that I'm going to be starving like by the time I'm done. Yeah. I was like that every day. I've right. lost 30 pounds since I left the observer. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I, when I was pregnant, it was really hard because I had morning mm-hmm. sickness all the time and I'm like, <laughs> read all this food copy and I just right. wanted to hurl. Yeah. But yeah. And Tim, you've been writing, writing about food for, you know, for different outlets, international outlets. And when you lived in Asia and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, I obviously don't have this wonderful journalism background that, that Kathleen has. My story's a lot less interesting. I was just, I actually majored in writing as an undergrad, but never did anything with it. And I, I like did, creative writing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my, my undergraduate degree is in creative writing, fiction writing, believe it or not. And I work in financial services, and I've been doing that forever. I lived in Tokyo for 10 years, Singapore for almost seven years. And then while I was in Singapore, I, you know, living in Japan, you get used to taking food pictures, right? It's just you mm-hmm. can't help yourself. And then I had a friend in Singapore who was like, Tim, no one's ever going to see your food pictures because you post them on Facebook. You're <laughs> not going to get an audience. you got to get on Instagram. Um, and I did. And then... You know, I got into writing the captions and I realized that was a nice creative outlet. It was a good balance for my day job. That's all numbers, numbers, numbers. And then that caught the attention of someone who was an editor for this online publication in, in Singapore called Lifestyle Asia. Mm-hmm. And I started writing for them. Yeah. And I love it. It's funny how you met or how we met through my old digital editor, Leah, because yeah. she used to work as her night job at Leah and Louise. Yes. And that's where I met her. Yeah, and you were eating there and somehow you guys just struck up a conversation and yes. it came up and she was like, you have to meet the person that I met last night. And he has to write for us. I just know it. Yeah, it was a good call, I will yeah. say. Tim oh. has added something to our food dialogue in Charlotte mm-hmm. that I think was sorely missing. Absolutely. Um, he really, really kills it. I'm I'm a big fan of his. I I 100% agree. And it pisses people off, too, which is... Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, it should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what causes that dialogue because mm-hmm. everybody else plays the, you know, just the fluff PR stuff. And all it, all it ever is is just... 
four or five paragraphs about this place opening and how many square foot it is and yeah. kind of cocktails and menu items they're going to have. And it's like, I don't fucking care. Right. Yeah. I don't <laughs> fucking care at all. Yeah. Thanks Charlotte agenda or whatever you want right. to call it now. That's sort of my favorite part of um, this new cover story is yeah. that no offense to you, Michael or, or Emma or, or anybody <laughs> else I'm friends with. He there. always finds a way to, to <laughs> stick them. Just to, <laughs> but I'm saying you spent a long time messing it up. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is in that cover story, you have a running theme of that where you're just yeah. like sort of having a meltdown, not only because, you know, apartment hunting and COVID-19, but also scrolling through Instagram and looking at the influencers of Charlotte. Sort of just like, you know, they got their shit for free and that's what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, and it really pisses Miranda. me off. Miranda. Well, you know, <laughs> did, you saw the sly reference to that one on there. No, and that's what pisses me off. I, You know, I, I use the word sycophant a lot. And that's part of it. But, you know, to, to, to your point, they get all this stuff fed to them. And it's, and, it's, and it's this laziness. Like when you're sitting there, as I was, like, you know, consumed with work and I'm looking for some, something inspiring. I'm flipping through. And it's all the same. Like every single post is the same about... The new place they all went to mm-hmm. as a group together, mm-hmm. sponsored. Right. It, just, it drives <laughs> me crazy. And you know, I've been, I've, you know, and I'm friends with some influencers in town, and they're fantastic influencers, and I like what they're doing because they're they're not of that mm-hmm. same cloth. But then you have this other group where I remember the first time I went to Shabao, <laughs> Shabao, for example. Oh, right. We're going to talk about Shabao. We, I, I went with I went with a group of people, and there were there was one in particular, an influencer who had the same opinion as I did and had the same reactions to the food as I did. And then the very next day, I look at this person's Instagram and Insta story and it's all, this is wonderful. This uh, is like, you've got to be kidding me with this. Right. Like, yeah. Why so can't you, you be speaking, honest? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get some you get paid for being honest. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. Let's talk a little bit about that. The warm cabbage salad. <laughs> the warm cabbage salad that just will not leave me alone. Do you still hear about it? I heard about it at Royal Top yeah, the other night. Aaron, Aaron texted me and said that the bartender randomly brought it up. It's like, are you warm cabbage salad? They called you that. <laughs> no, funny thing, so she and I were sitting there and we were getting along with our bartender. Wonderful guy. I look over and I see this woman that I recognize to be my tattoo artist. She, she was our best in nest. Oh, best Lisa Sanchez. Lisa, Lisa Sanchez was there. And I'm like, oh, hey, Lisa, what are you doing here? She points at our bartender. He's like, oh, that's my boyfriend. You know, and then I, you know, say hi to him. I'm like, oh, yeah, your girlfriend did all of these. He looks at me and he's like, oh, your warm cabbage salad? <laughs> I would have immediately oh, changed all of my social media handles <laughs> in that second. <laughs> How did he know that? Just well, they 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 read the whole saga, right? Yeah. But had, I mean, just from looking at oh, because you said your yeah, yeah, your she, name. She had told oh, okay. him that you know I had come in a few times gotcha. to get some work done. But yeah, he said every time they go to Optimus Hall together, they walk by that booth, <laughs> right? And he says warm cabbage salad, and they kind of <laughs> run away. So, um, um, for some context on that, quick breakdown of your article, if you yeah. don't mind. Oh, Basically, the warm cabbage salad salad article. Yes. Well, it started as an Instagram post. Mm. Because I don't, was I yet writing? Was this our first no, piece? You, no, it's my second one, I okay. think. Yeah. Yeah. You started that, that started on Instagram before you right, started right. writing for us. Got it. And got then it, it flowed through. I, I had gone there and, you know, they, they brag and brag and brag about their okonomiyaki. You know, this Japanese savory pancake that's that's mostly cabbage and like lots of yummy stuff on top. And I went there and... I felt like my soul was being destroyed with every bite. Like it was this like warm, flaccid, nothing but cabbage. Like there was no pancake in it. There was no batter. It was literally a warm cabbage salad with like $17 worth of ingredients on top. 
And that's what I wrote in my Instagram post. Like, it's this is nothing more than a warm cabbage salad. And then the owner got hurt. And for about a month and a half after, every single day on the Shabao main Instagram page, it was <laughs> hashtag WCS, some reference to me and warm cabbage salad. <laughs> I, I couldn't deal with it. Right. And so I'm like, fine. We sat down. We had a conversation, like a two-hour conversation on Skype, recorded the whole thing. I kept the receipts wrote about it, was hoping that he would redeem himself in this conversation, at least acknowledge this little bit of like cultural appropriation he had going on with his food. And he he had he would didn't didn't own up to it at all. And then he reacted viscerally to that article saying it was all made up. Tim knows that that's not what happened. Well, he did say that his degree was in uh, fiction writing. So uh, I, I, I know, like I have the receipts, like I still have them on my phone. You Let's know? play the Skype <laughs> on this podcast. I couldn't, but um, no, that was really great. I, I love that sort of. Um, it was a good story. Insight. It was a, it was yeah. a great, well written story. I mean, that's one of the things I like being around Tim because mm-hmm. you know we go out and eat together a few times, and he's got a great palate, mm-hmm. you know, and he's very, very focused on details that might other people might miss, yeah. and I really appreciate that because I'm really not as good at that. I'm I'm not a restaurant viewer, and mm-hmm. actually not a very good one when I've had to do it. Do you think that's just from your background as a hard news? person no you know at the observer everybody thought i was a restaurant viewer and i'm not Mm -hmm. um helen schwab did the restaurant views i wrote the i did the food section and i wrote about food right and how you make food and why we eat things and where the history of that is and all of those things and the funny thing was when I went to leave the Observer, somebody immediately messaged me and said, okay, tell the truth. You're really Helen Schwab, aren't you? Oh. <laughs> no. Are you ready yet? Are you ready uh, to I tell ready? us that you're Helen Schwab? No. No. No, because Helen, you know, is much right. prettier no, than yeah. me. <laughs> um, yeah, because then uh, I think it was after the Cabbage article that Kathleen had reached out to me asking how she could get in contact with uh, right. you. Oh, yeah. I was fascinated. I was Because here was somebody who was coming in who had actual attitude and writing mm-hmm. chops. And I was just like, at first, I will be honest, my reaction was, okay, is this guy a complete asshole or is he brilliant? I'm not sure They're not yet. mutually yep. exclusive. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I told you, Jay, I'm a big fan of Jay Rayner in mm. London, who is the biggest asshole in the world as a reviewer, but he's a great reviewer. And so I sent a couple of your articles to a friend of mine who I really expect, respect his opinion, who also lived in Japan. And I said, okay, tell me what I'm looking at here. And he was like, oh my God, this guy's great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Love that. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I just, I feel oh, like. look, he's blushing. <laughs> <laughs> when you blush, it goes a long I know. way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I feel the same way sort of about, like when I write music pieces, say, mm-hmm. for instance, um, I'm not like Pat or Pat Moran is our staff writer who's really good at, at like listening to music and then putting it on a page and telling you what you're listening to, both with historical context and like what inspired it, what it sounds like, and just like the crazy adjectives that he uses to describe sounds. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's he nuts. makes that he's a fiction writer too. Yeah. <laughs> those, those aren't real words. And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, but I can't do that with music. Like I'm more of a storyteller uh-huh. of you know. The, the, the behind the music, if you will, the VH1 story of like, this is what inspired these lyrics. I usually write about hip hop mostly and I let Pat handle it, literally any other genre. But um, I'm just way better at 
you know, telling the story behind it as opposed to describing it. And yes, that's sort of exactly. what you're saying about your food writing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Plus I just always, I want everybody to do well. I right. do. When I sit down at a table, I'm just like, man, I hope they do. I hope they right. knock this out of the park every time. And then when they don't, I'm so crushed. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's why both of those voices are needed. You need somebody to describe it and then, and not be partial to knowing the story of it. And then you need somebody to tell the story. Yeah. So that way that the person describing it has no bias. Well, we talked in about there. that in there. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, in it. Yeah. I mean, in the at the Observer, one of the ways we had it set up was Helen was anonymous. I wasn't. I was. In t- it was intentional that I wasn't anonymous. Everybody knows my face. My face is all over this town. And part of the reason was because people will come up to me and tell me stuff and give me story tips and, you know, and line cooks. I hear from, I love to walk into a restaurant and the line cook like, like sneaks over to tell me something. <laughs> You know, Helen couldn't do that. Yeah. So I, it was deliberately set up that way. So we were a balance. I think it does have something to do with your history as a as a hard news journalist. Because yeah, you're oh, yeah. approaching it in that way. Oh, yeah. Almost. I'm always yeah, looking yeah. for what's the story here. Right. I want to tell a good story. And just in terms of how you just said about sitting down and rooting for them. And it's not like I don't think anybody sits down and was like, I can't wait for this to suck. <laughs> so I can, but makes so a more interesting review. It. Right. <laughs> But another aspect of that uh, that's come up in the last year a lot publicly and with sort of chefs on social media is how COVID plays into that in a lot of local. I mean, I'm sure this is happening literally in every scene where people are just sort of asking for that. uh, I don't know if sympathy is the word. Asking for like a grace period. Yeah, there was a big there was a big eruption recently involving Tom Seeds by The Washington Post Mm -hmm. and a tweeter named uh, who goes by the name Restaurant Manifesto who went after Tom because he posted, he had this terrible experience at a restaurant and he posted kind of detailed about it just to ask people what their input was on this. And it was like, well, he told the management that these were the problems he had. He left a really big tip. He didn't name the restaurant. Ed Restaurant Manifesto Festo went after him and just was just, they wouldn't let go. Mm-hmm. How horrible he was. How he dare you do this? He didn't name the restaurant? Huh? He didn't name the restaurant and they were still upset with him? Yeah, them? exactly. How dare you criticize restaurants now? Right. They should get a free pass for all they're going through. Well, ah. yeah, they're going through a lot, but they're still charging me money. Exactly. And at open, its heart, exactly. all food writing, all cons- all restaurant reviews are exactly. consumer writing. Yep. They're That's open. the reason we exist. They're, they're open and they're making food. Mm-hmm. You're they open to criticism. full prices. Yeah. Full one, Bryce, yeah. One yeah. thing they did in Singapore that I was a big fan of, and it was at some of the nicer, like Michelin starred restaurants, was when they opened, and it was like a soft open for a couple of months. They wouldn't charge full price. Mm-hmm. And everyone knew that that was kind of like signal for, okay, don't be mad at don't us. Don't be yeah. mad, hands off the reviews. Yeah. But once they start charging full price for their menu, then it's like, you know, shakedown crew. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. The other thing was, you know, it used to be with restaurant reviewing, there was a set of standards that pretty much all the restaurant reviewers in the country, you know, I we had a group called the Association of Food Journalists, and they were all members, and we actually had a code of ethics for restaurant reviews. And it used to be the standard that you let a place be open for at least three months mm. before you reviewed them, because you're not getting a, a true look at what they want to be. We don't let restaurants grow up mm. anymore. We just dive in, and then we rush off somewhere else. Mm. And, it's so you hard. Know, they don't get a chance yeah. to mature. Mm-hmm. And that's that. I, I hate that in a way. Yeah, right. And then you try and go like more than once, right? Like you go Every place you do, you go a bunch so, of times. So I There's try, a I try to yeah. follow her her code of ethics, but when influencers are on the prowl, yeah. it's hard to balance it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think that's old news by the time. 
Yeah, exactly. Three months is up. I mean, that's why I think I got a lot into a lot of trouble reviewing Orto. That's what I was going to say. Rest in peace, Orto. <laughs> Um, because they would only been open for a couple of months, but I, you know, I, a couple of months ought to be enough, but I went there the three times. Week, no. I, I pay my own way. I tip well, like yeah. I do every, you know, I don't. What irritated me about people being upset with that article is nobody had good things to say about it. Right. <laughs> I did not hear. Like word of mouth. I never heard one good not thing about it thing. unless it was about Amanda's cocktails. Yeah. Yes. It's just that you wrote an entire article that described yes. it really well. And then we published it. Right? Yes. <laughs> and I think that was an interesting aspect to me in terms of the response and it was probably just a public response i'm sure behind closed doors paul Brick was like fuck that guy but the oh. public response oh, no, was behind closed doors paul would <laughs> okay but i mean publicly <laughs> paul's not reticent <laughs> publicly he was saying you know well we appreciate reviews like this because it tells us what we got wrong and yeah. what we can work on in our early stages but it didn't matter that they said that publicly because everyone else had their own way yeah. of just being like, oh, how yeah. dare you even think about saying a negative thing about you, a restaurant yeah. after COVID-19. Good year. So, so yeah. getting back to, I think, where you were going with your original question, which was, you know, what what's our responsibility? Right. Yeah. The yeah. best example of that I ever saw was Brett Anderson, who another brilliant, brilliant writer, um, was the restaurant reviewer for the Times-Picayune in, in New Orleans. And during Katrina, he took a one-year moratorium from reviewing and said, okay, for one year, I'm just going to write about the recovery of the restaurant industry. I'm going to write about how they're dealing with this. I'm not going to review anyone until they've had a year to get past it. Yeah. And it it got a lot of attention at the time. It was a really bold move and, and a fair one. Yeah. You know, nobody was operating the same way in right. that first year. And Pete Wells so, in the New York Times has been doing something similar. Like he's still writing reviews, but they're not giving stars. Exactly. Yeah. Until, until everything settled yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I feel about reviews is you, you got to think of turnover. People hire new chefs, new cooks, new managers. Managers, new yep. employees, like a review is basically like you're saying at this point, at in, point time, in time, yeah, yeah. here's what's going on. I could review it again a year from now and it might be completely different. Yeah. And and oftentimes that's worth doing. Yeah. You know, revisits are, you know, they can make really good articles. But yeah. Tim, why don't you I, go back to Orta? No, I was about to say it. That was that was my intention all along, but you know, can't. Well, now you can't. Rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. I can give their eulogy. Yeah. But you know, I, you I, did. I, oh, never mind. I had a train of thought and then I oh, and I'm sorry. lost me my train of thought. <laughs> There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. You're talking about Brett Anderson and... Possibly. We're talking about Brett Anderson and Katrina and whether it's fair to mm. do that. And mm. in some circumstances, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, I know what I was going to say. You were saying that there's a turnover of chefs. Mm. But the thing is, is one of the things I will tell you in my old lady mode, you know, one of the things that has really changed about the Charlotte restaurant world is the rise of chef-owned restaurants. Yeah. We didn't have those 20 years ago. You know, you really didn't. And you did have turnover of chefs. And, you you know, there was a lot more rivalry among chefs here. Charlotte has become a very different town in its food scene because we have chef-owned places that are expressions of what they want to do. 
You know, I mean, Paul, you know, to his credit for Orto, he was in Italy when COVID broke out. He, he had gone over there to do a scouting trip to see what do I want this restaurant to be mm-hmm. and had to cut it short by like a month, I think, because COVID came along and they had to flee. Yeah. But, but you don't really have as much turnover of chefs in the restaurant anymore mm-hmm. because of that. Mm-hmm. All the interesting <clears throat> places to me are chef owned. Yeah. Right. And to be clear, I have no problem with him or his establishments. We're, <laughs> we're over here laughing at, at someone's uh, passion project collapsing. Exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. I think he'll, Sorry, no, yeah. man. Absolutely. These are, sure. you know, restaurants are enormously yeah. expensive to open. Mm-hmm. And these are, every one of them is somebody's baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another reason why I have a hard time loving doing restaurant reviews because, you know, who wants to cut, tell somebody their baby's ugly? Right. <laughs> That's how the reason I, the reason I laugh that stuff I'm off though sometimes because uh, I get what you're saying like it, it'd be like if if our business collapsed and right. four people and were sitting people around will. a microphone laughing they and they absolutely will <laughs> and that'll be fine but uh, but it's like when I see somebody like the the Vericos who just have their hands in so many different projects if mm-hmm. I see one fall away I'm just like eh. right yeah. Yeah. yeah like Alex just got in on par I can't Para, wait I haven't been I can't wait yeah. I, you know he's well, our I, I worked there when it was Zeppelin and that was oh, chef yeah. owned and. Yeah. So as a front of house employee, I don't like working at Chef One. <laughs> I was at Power the other night. Oh, were you? Yeah. Ooh, Stay tuned. Can you give me a thumbs up, thumbs down? Stay oh, tuned. Oh, yeah, good. <laughs> I like I like restaurant pans, Alex. <laughs> um, speaking of which, I think we were just a little started to talk off the mic, uh, and I I was like, no, Kathleen. I, <laughs> But we were talking a little bit about a restaurant, or I guess restaurateurs, that both of you guys have sung the praises of, which is Greg and Sabrina Collier. Mm-hmm. Um, and just within the last week, I want to say, and that mm-hmm. time is warped, as we were talking about earlier nowadays, but I think it was about a week ago that they announced a whole new expansion of, like, what, three new? Four. four new so locations. Many, yeah. All yeah, within Camp North End. Camp North yeah. End. And it's about mentoring, you know, yeah. because it's not just them. It's also people who worked for them mm-hmm. who are getting in their spaces. And that's always been, for as long as I've known Greg, that's been the drum he's been beating over and over again, is mentoring, bringing up young black food talents mm-hmm. and giving them a chance to fly because they didn't have that chance in the city not too long ago. No, I know. Yeah, and, no. you know, suddenly we have not this explosion. And yeah. it's still a huge uh, minority. Yeah, well, yeah, but mm. so it much more so much powerful than yeah, it was. And, and like in leadership, yeah, mm. for yeah, sure. That's what I mean. Yeah. And, but I mean, what does that mean for like, I saw your tweets from Bay Haven. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like there? Because I missed it. Oh, man. That was, you're going to be sorry. That's yeah. going to be one of those things that 10 years from now, we're still going to be saying, were you at the first Bay Haven? Because mm-hmm. it was pretty amazing. I went for the Friday night dinner, which was. And this is a festival for folks who don't know. I just said it. Yeah. The, the Bay Haven Black Food and Wine Festival. Mm-hmm. That was done at Camp North End, and um, for a first-time event, it went off amazingly. The cool thing to me was they did this thing called the Cotton Club, which was like a chef tasting station thing that went on during the day on Saturday. And there were plenty of places you could get a cocktail, and you could, you know, have all these small tastes. And there were a lot of really good chefs there, like Keith, no, Ricky Moore from Durham, you know, just a whole list of talent. And the fun thing I had was talking to people black women who had come in from other cities. And so for instance, there was a woman who's there from Richmond. And I said to her, why did you come all the way here for something like that? I mean, you're in Richmond, surely you've got, you know, a black food scene in Richmond. And she said, no, we don't. This festival could not happen in Richmond, in Nashville, and in awful lot of cities. Mm -hmm. Charlotte has a different 
approach into the black food world. And there are people who are coming in here now to experience that. Do you think that oh, weren't they bringing? Sorry, weren't they bringing people like you said from the, the Ricky they, Moore from Raleigh? Like how many how many Charlotte based people were were there set up doing stuff as like, the chefs themselves? Yeah. Quite a few. Oh, okay, yeah, nice. yeah. Jim, uh, Jimmy the Pearls guys were there. Yeah, yeah, okay, oh my yeah. god, they had a great day. Because I remember when I was watching like the the marketing and stuff being talked about. It was talking about all these people coming in from other places. And I was just like, I think I felt I felt outwardly from a person who wasn't paying very much attention to it and definitely didn't go that it was it, it felt like it was showing that we had less of that. culture. No, it was the opposite. Okay. It was a benediction. Cool. Because there were the kind of people coming in who were really known all throughout the region and seeing those names on the list, seeing Todd Richards from Atlanta, mm-hmm. seeing um, Keith Rhodes from Wilmington, seeing Ricky Moore. Seeing all the Tiffany Barrier, I think, was here. And you see those people coming in, and that's like, uh, we, we've got our eye on you. You're good. Mm-hmm. You gotcha. know, it was, yeah. a, it was a good thing. But the people I'm talking about weren't the chefs. They were the people who actually came into this city yeah, 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 yeah. and got a hotel room mm-hmm. and flew in here and stayed. Hannah Raskin and I had a really interesting talk about whether something like that could have happened in Charleston. And she said it, you don't see the same black food scene in Charleston because in Charleston and Richmond, what they have in common, and, you know, sorry to have to bring it up, but they were antebellum cities. Mm -hmm. They have people go there because they want to experience the old South as tourists. We don't have that here. We're not an old South city. Mm -hmm. So we're allowed to be new South. We're allowed to be a different South. And so she was saying that there were black restaurant tours in Charleston who don't attempt to push themselves forward that much because they've lived in a place where they've been downtrodden mm-hmm. and overlooked and put down. So they don't have that same room to suddenly stand up tall like you have here. Mm-hmm. So, and same thing with Richmond. You go to Richmond because you want to know about the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And that's not exactly, you know, a great thing that's going to lead you to wonderful black chefs, <laughs> not unfortunately. Great, not a great yeah. tourist magnet. No, no. And, and we don't have on. that. That history isn't a part. I mean, we do have some stuff, but it's yeah. not like right. you're going to find anywhere else. And I think, go, you know, Atlanta is more like us in that yeah, way. I don't think Charlotte landed in a high school history textbook. <laughs> <laughs> no. you got to go way in the back of Elmwood Cemetery to find it all. Yeah. Um, Pine, yes, Pinewood. Man, I love Pinewood. Pinewood, yeah. I always do that. But no, I mean, how much did... Did Greg and Sabrina, like, how much would you say they're responsible for that as someone who's been watching this scene? Because to me, I mean, I've not been watching as long as you have. So I don't know. As soon as I came on, they were just sort of like building their name up. And it's just that's all I've known is like their leadership. I think we need to give full credit to the whole group. Because what started the change here in visibility was Soul Food Sessions. Right. And Soul Food Sessions didn't start with Greg and Sabrina. Um, it actually started with uh, Jamie uh, Barnes mm-hmm. and uh, Greg Williams, who are what the fries. Mm-hmm. Jamie was a classically trained chef who's hustling fries and burgers on a food truck. And he started going to Greg and to Michael Bowling and some of these other people and saying, you know, I, I can cook other stuff than this, but nobody gives me a chance. Mm-hmm. And so the plan was originally with Soul Food Sessions was that they were going to do one dinner, one pop up, and they were going to turn, they were going to take the tropes watermelon and fried chicken and, you know, all of those horrible stereotypes and flip them on their heads to do it as a fine dining thing. Mm -hmm. And they were blown away by the reaction. Now, the original, the first crowd at that first one, I've always been told, was very, very white. Mm -hmm. But people started getting word of it and begging for tickets and they they didn't have enough room. So they decided to do another one. And then they did another one. And then they did another one. And it started this 
moment where you would start to, you would go to these events, these soul food session dinners, and it was, the crowds were great because it was a mix of white and black and young and old who were all coming out to these things. And that's when it really started that cohesiveness. And so Greg and Sabrina are incredibly talented people, but also very, very well organized. And they were the ones who kind of took that and started building on it and, and the mentoring thing, you know, that's what Greg, Greg would always say about Soul Food Sessions was they would bring in Johnson and Wales students to be waiters and help in the kitchens and all that because he wanted to show them, you know, here we are in fine dining, here we are as leaders, and this is what you can aim for. Because when they were coming up, they didn't have any of those role models. Mm -hmm. You know, you went into a kitchen as a black guy, you were the only one. Right. And, and that made it very difficult to create any kind of a fine dining experience because you were told this is not your world. They decided to make it their world mm -hmm. and brought everybody else along, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, what do you say to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm just sitting here. Put down all, your knitting. Like <laughs> <laughs> I love listening to her talk about. No, absolutely. I could all day. But just in terms of on the other side oh, of the spectrum. Hold on. Time out though. How is Michael Bowling? I know that is he in I think he's good. I stay in pretty regular contact with his sister, okay. um, Joy. Is it, he's in the Canapolis. Yeah, well, he was up at the here, Concord. 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 That's Southern. Yeah, yeah uh, he was a Concord with Hotbox Next Hotbox. Level, yeah. and I have not heard how he his medical. He has medical. That's why issues. I was asking. He oh, has okay. medical I issues, and I haven't had yeah. an update on that. There was a fundraiser mm -hmm. um, to help Recently. him get a new kidney. Yeah, um, that's what because it was. Oh, this okay. is his another. It, you know, he's already had a kidney yeah. transplant once. I mean, it's hard. The thing that we never <laughs> stop to talk about really with the chef world is, and the food writer world, I'll be honest with you, it's damn hard on your body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not a way to stay svelte and live a long life. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. for chefs, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, for a long time, you didn't look around town and see any young old chefs. I mean, because their backs go and their legs go mm -hmm. and it's just not a real good way to live. And it's hard on their families. There's, and you know, the addiction burnout. and mm -hmm. burnout and, you know, it's a rough job. Yep. We yep. did a, we, <laughs> we did a story. <laughs> jumping into your face as soon as you all start talking. We did a story on addiction and burnout in that yeah. industry. And we went and sat with Michael Bowling in, in the brewery in Concord when he was open, when they were opening that spot. So that's why I asked because I saw the fundraiser for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a he really was... good guy. He is. I hope he's doing okay. I haven't heard anything lately. You're yeah. right. I should check in. Our thoughts are with him, man. Best wishes to Michael, but I didn't know that he was going through that right now. But just on the other end of the spectrum, Tim, like as yeah. someone regularly, I mean, someone who relatively new yeah. to Charlotte, how, when did you move? I moved here August 2020. Right. Yeah. So you are oh, wow. newbie. Pandemic Very baby. Newbie. Pandemic baby. <laughs> Pandemic baby, yeah. <laughs> um, already on my third apartment. <laughs> beyond, beyond the difficulties of that already, it has with visiting new spots and finding new things. I mean, what yeah. is the thing that you're sort of in, still in search of? Uh, and I'm sure Kathleen can help you find it. <laughs> oh my goodness, something that I'm still in search of. Or just good, not even in general, but just like a... Well, I'm I'm in search of good Southeast Asian food, which mm -hmm. I'm not convinced I'll ever find here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still homesick for Singapore. Mm -hmm. Okay, Singapore is just the greatest place I've ever lived, especially in terms of just food culture, because you, you just have everything there. Um, it's where I discovered and fell in love with Malaysian and Indonesian food, and I miss it terribly. And, and funnily enough, that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with the food at Lee and Louise. Mm -hmm. Not that it's anything like Southeast Asian food. It's just it, it, it's so of its own thing. Mm -hmm. And there's such a rich history and culture about it. And I think I went the first time, maybe my second or third week in Charlotte. And that was the first meal where I thought, 
okay, now I'm glad I actually moved to Charlotte. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I never known anything about Charlotte up until that point. And I, three weeks in, I wasn't sure I wanted to stay here. But that first meal I had there was just, yeah, mm-hmm. it made me happy. So I want more food like that. More food right. that just isn't, you know, a copy of something else or something that, you know, people trying to get on lists or people looking at Instagram pages of restaurants that are on lists and trying to copy dishes that they don't quite know how to bring together. I, I, I want less of that and more... More, more food like at Lee and Louise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Food that is in context. Food that is in context. And that can help yes. you understand. Like exactly. for instance, you know, the, we were talking. Um, so, okay. Brad Panovich posted this thing about pizza, mm. you know, and I was rolling my eyes and going, Brad, honey, you need to get out more because there's so much better pizza here. But <laughs> somebody in that thread pinged me mm. and said, you know, what do you think, Kathleen? Does Charlotte ha- is there a Charlotte pizza? And I said, absolutely not. And there's a good reason for that, because our city doesn't have an Italian working class history. We have a Greek working class history. And those Greeks a lot of times had to make Italian food because everybody was afraid of Greek food in the 50s. But that's not a pizza culture. Mm-hmm. So that's why we don't have a pizza like Chicago has its own or New York has its own. Fine, go to those places. But that's not what our history is. You know, go find a good Greek you know, mesoplate, and you're going to understand a little bit more about what Charlotte is. That's, That's why the, the Diamond has their Italy versus Greece section on their menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Open Kitchen is yeah. is a Greek restaurant for since. What, is it really? Yeah. Oh yeah. The picture, oh, yeah. the pictures on uh, Postmates make it look like it's Italian. It, it is. Yeah, it's a red of... sauce Italian restaurant. Oh, but the reason okay. it was started with Italian food mm-hmm. was because in the fifties when or no it. When did it open? I think it, was um, 50, it was the 50s at the earliest. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The it's, I did a 60th anniversary story on them, and mm. it was about five, six, seven years ago. So, mm. you know, they've been around. But the, at the time, if you had garlic or you had anything like that, Americans wouldn't eat it. So they made a Greekified version of Italian food. Hmm. And that's, I'll have to check you know, it out. I've never they're, been. They're, they're salad dressing, the Mama K salad dressing. Mm-hmm. That is a Greek dressing, yeah. but they call it an Italian dressing because nobody was willing to eat Greek food in those days. They thought it was, right. you know, smelly and scary and ooh, it has flavors. Ooh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> those flavors will come and get you. Oh, yeah, they will. <laughs> When, where do you find where you want to go try? Just word of mouth? Because I, I, yeah, when you wrote this, uh, and I'm going to butcher this, Sri Balage. Sri Balaji, yeah. Sri Balaji. That story was was so well written. I think about it all the time. I look at the picture and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but I want to go get it. Because that was such a good piece. And then I drive by it in Pineville and I'm just like, how the hell did he find that? Yeah, I thought that too. I never heard of it. That one came from an influencer friend. Oh, okay. One of the good ones. Uh, It it depends. Like, I'm obviously stuck on Instagram all the time. So I'm trying to see what's new or not. It's funny enough, Aaron and I were talking about this the other night. Because she had mentioned you gave her a recommendation at one point of some place to go to. I'm like, well, why would why doesn't Ryan do that for me? I don't know. I don't know where to go to in oh, Charlotte. I'm running out of ideas. I have I have one. I'll you know, I'm so I'll give okay. You plenty, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but no, I rely I rely on word of mouth or mm-hmm. you know I happen to see like if you if you if you use Instagram the right way and see like local chefs and then see who they're following mm-hmm. and see what posts they're liking. And then you can go to see that like, Oh, that looks like a place I might want to go to. Cause all these chefs seem to be really into it. And you, one rule of thumb is you always eat where chefs like to eat. Mm-hmm. I find mm-hmm. um, so things like that. You're yeah. going to be sorry. You said that to him. Why? Because 
I are getting in trouble I, here. No, I drive Uber Eats like to supplement my income. Yeah. At night sometimes, and you're just about to start getting texts from me. So many restaurants I work walk into just like, I want to try this. So now whenever I think that, I'm gonna say, Tim should try this. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna send you a picture. Hey Tim, have you been to the American Deli on Freedom <laughs> Drive? <laughs> This um, McDonald's on Central is fucking good. <laughs> I don't accept fast food uh, <laughs> deliveries. Not going to get tipped. You just sit in the line for 45 right, minutes. Exactly. We both used to do it. I don't do it anymore. But Just in general, from the two of you, I guess, what are we – like, it's the same thing I sort of just asked him. But, Kathleen, what would you say as someone who's really in tune with this? Like, I know you don't like to, to focus on the negative, but what, <laughs> but what are we missing? Oh, like, I do. Okay. <laughs> Like, what do you feel like we're missing in Charlotte food that we could, what maybe we missing? once had and don't anymore or Owen's bagels. Mm. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I, we, the bagels are not as good as they were at a particular favorite bagel place right next to my neighborhood because of the flour issue. They can't get the same flour. Right. So that's one of those COVID things. That's what I always hear people saying about pizza. Is that true? The water? Oh, the is that, the that one myth? gets debated all the time. Yeah. I, you know, the water is different I in New York or something. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But I mean, Poppy's did damn fine New York bagels, mm. but they are having trouble getting the original flour that they mm-hmm. formulated for that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of that comes up. God, what, what can't I get that I really, really want to get? I'll be honest with you. You know, I had, a, I had this gig where I had to go to New York four times a year for like 18 years. And when I first started doing that around 2000, you know, I would go up there with this long list of food I got to get. And I got to go to the, you know, Calyestians, Cal- Cal- um, the um, spices store, because I can't get good spices here. And I'm going to have to go, you know, get a really good lox on bagel and some great pastrami. And it got to the point by the time I finished 18 years later, I didn't go to New York that way anymore because mm-hmm. there's just nothing that I really, really want that I can't find here with the exception of higher-end Mexican food. Mm-hmm. And that one is a function of us, the diners in Charlotte, because we have had people try and do that, and everybody raises this stink of, oh, I'm not going to pay that for Mexican food. Uh, well, why not? Mm-hmm. There's really great, sophisticated Mexican cooking. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like it has to be cheap? Right. Exactly. You know, and that's the kind of thing that sabotages us, is when you sit down and the first, you don't look at what's on the list of the menu, you look at the list of prices down the side, and you go into this, you know, immediate, wah! Mm-hmm. They're charging what for hamburger? Well, right. yeah, but it's grass-fed beef, locally made bun, you know, chef who's actually paying attention to what he's doing. Why wouldn't you need to pay more for that? Right. So it's part of what's holding us back isn't the availability of food. It's our understanding of what's worth paying for. Mm-hmm. Is that a, too much of a No, that was answer? great. That was, <laughs> super, that was super interesting insight because I never thought about that before. Yeah. Just in terms of sort of high-end Mexican dining. We don't well, have- Well, just high-end in general. Like, yeah. I right. miss- I, and this is where my bougie side comes into play, but I, I I do have a place in my heart for like destination fine dining places, and mm-hmm. and Charlotte just there's places in Charlotte that are trying to be that, um, but that aren't quite there yet. So like I've you know for my last two birthdays, for example, I've driven all the way up to Washington D.C. so mm-hmm. that I can get that you know scratch that itch of going to a nice destination fine dining place that has stars and is on list. And where you where the service is so good, where you just hand yourself impeccable. over when I you know. sit down. When oh. they ask you if you want the extra white truffle supplement, you know better than to say yes, <laughs> but you can't help but, but say you yes. Help yourself. Then so you wonderful. smell it. Yes. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. like that in I mean, Charlotte an event. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we there's a place that we disagree about. 
but that I think is more of a you food experience. Going? No, not yet. Okay. You can afford it. Okay, that one, yeah. Yeah, it's expensive. We don't want to. What is it? What's going on here? <laughs> What's the problem? Why can't name it's it? Secrets place. between girls here. Yeah. Come on. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've, had, we've had many debates. We don't always agree. Yeah. Um, but, you well, know, I well, mean, I think that's a really good point is that we don't. Pepper Vine sort of. They gets have a bit there. of an identity crisis, but they yeah. could be that. Yeah, that's what but, they were aiming to be when they came in. Yeah, except so they have a fried chicken sandwich on the menu and it doesn't make sense in that no. neighborhood and those surroundings no. i don't it's like a, <laughs> why do why do that yeah. yeah yeah that's that that event that place where you're just really really excited because yeah. it's Supperland. you know when you go to Supperland, you're gonna have a really and you're gonna spend some money on it right yeah but it's not as expensive as people say because people keep forgetting those dishes are meant to be shared mm. yeah exactly you know you're exactly. there for two i was just gonna bring that up just in terms of that we saw that whole thing play out that you were just talking about with the the sticker shock, uh-huh. and as soon as it opened, everybody's like, "What the like? I can't pay this for a shrimp or and yeah, this you're and supposed that. to share that shrimp right. with somebody else. Well, no, <laughs> but if you, go, <laughs> so if you go to a Ruth's Chris and you look yeah. at that same shrimp, they're charging more for it. Yeah, I got to. I'll let you finish what you're going to say. But I got a I got a story about my first experience at Ruth's Chris. <laughs> you got to stick the shrimp. Different size of each people's mouth, like Lady in a Trance. But, <laughs> yeah. they're, but they're big enough. But, Those but are no. big what I was going to say is that Supperland, that was sort of the first week or two that it opened. Yeah. And then as people kept going, the word yeah. of mouth was like, oh, my God, you everybody hear, loved it. Yeah, so yeah. I've never heard that about it. it. Yeah. Unless, so except for their it? trash bin. Somebody went to the length of starting a Twitter account oh, about their trash. yeah, yeah. Their parking issues. They got the same thing at Haverdish. I keep asking Jeff, so what do you do? Go and look for the place. With the least amount of parking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right down the street from where I live. And yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. What's going on with Ruth's Chris? With here. Oh, oh, I forgot I even brought that up. <laughs> this was uh, like, it had to have been nine years ago. And I was just walking around uptown with a friend of mine who had just graduated from UNC Charlotte. And I was just wearing like cargo shorts and a t shirt. And she was wearing like a tank top and and like khaki like shorts like way like a how a girl would wear shorts just a pie I don't, I don't know what so I don't know what this yeah <laughs> All right. I looked like an idiot she looked fine but so we both love steak and we were just walking by and it was just like oh well here's a here's a steakhouse let's just <laughs> let's just go in there and uh, you open the door and and there's the in the in the foyer there's there's just the the reception table or host a stand whatever you want i'm very tired <laughs> and and then the wall and you can't see the dining room and she was like oh do you have a reservation and i was like no i'm just walking in grab a table and she was like okay well let me take your name and i gave her my name There's two people and she was like all right i'll let you know when your table is ready so we take like a couple steps back we're the only three people in there just me and her and then the person that we were just talking to and she just stands there for like 30 seconds it doesn't look at anything or do anything and she goes la francois party of two and i was just <laughs> like Okay, cool. And we round the corner and we both stopped dead in our tracks and we're just like, this is not where, not we, where we thought we were walking into. Everybody, everybody is completely dressed up. The the people working there are much, much better dressed than we were. And I told her, I was like, we're not turning around. Like we're we're not gonna be those people that just walk out of this place like that. So we sat down and had incredible service and the food was amazing and they gave us free dessert and it cost me $350. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but a good steak's going to cost you. Something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that, we indulged. We were yeah. like, we sat down. You can see the skin on our legs. <laughs> the only people in here not wearing <laughs> pants. 
We're eating. Yeah, I was just good for you. This, and it was so good because you probably look like the richest people there. <laughs> I, used to, I used to work at Palm Beach, and you know how you can tell the really rich people they don't look they don't like do really themselves right. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just went to the new Caroline's Oyster Bar, which is just a little oh, bar oh, yeah. below the new Marriott, the JW, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. called. Uh, it was really good. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Uh, my girlfriend was losing it because uh, in the stall next to us was I don't know how to say it, Nene Leaks. Who is apparently like the biggest oh, real housewife yeah. that there is. Yes. Oh. And Wasn't she was she just sitting queen? there. According to some people on Twitter, her, her husband or her, her new boyfriend, I think her husband just died. Oh. New boyfriend lives in Charlotte. Oh. But, uh, so she's not a housewife anymore. No, she's a real house widow. <laughs> oh. Wasn't she on Glee? Dang. No. I have no, no idea who that is. Sylvester's yeah. rival. She's in a I lot of memes. Never, You'd recognize her from the memes alone. I have never actually watched a real housewife no, of any city ever. But uh, <laughs> the funny thing was she sat down and she must have been staying in the Marriott. She went up that way when she, they left. But uh, she came down and sat down next to us and in the booth. And Christine goes, oh, shit, I know those people. And I was like, well, do you like them? The, should you say hi? She's like, no, I don't like. I don't know them like that. Like, they don't know me. <laughs> um, but I recognize her from the memes. But that was kind of hilarious. But it was super good. Yeah. It was real good. Yeah. Huh? So before we get out of here, you're you're working on a new book, Kathleen. Oh, you wanna, yeah. I don't think you're in a stage to really push it yet. I don't know if no, you no, even no, have no, a working no. title. Um, but what yes, do you I do. I Actually, it's not a food book. I mean, it's mm -hmm. the first thing everybody asks me. Um, but no, I'm writing a memoir mm -hmm. that is called The Accidental Family. Mm -hmm. And it is about my very strange family history. <laughs> give, us a, have, give us a little hint as to what made it. When so my mother died part. when I was 55 years old, three months after she died, we found out that we had a half-sister that mm -hmm. we did not know anything about. Ever. I mean, and it turned out both sides of our family knew. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of my parents almost had an arranged Secret. marriage. Oh. Didn't know any of that. She'd never told us. And then when my brother was killed three years ago, three months after he was killed, we found out we had a nephew. That oh, is wow. actually the coolest story ever. So and it was like I had to have a place to put it. So I thought, well, what the hell? I'll write a book. Sounds like a memoir of discovery. It is. Yeah. It's, and it's kind of my own story of how growing up in a family of secrets makes you. I mean, isn't it weird that I spent my whole life chasing truth? Mm -hmm. You know, because I kind of already always knew there something wasn't right and didn't add up. Right. And then I found out what it was. Gotcha. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And good, make sure that people go check out Kathleen's other books. I remember... <laughs> on, uh, okay, I have I in this the Savor the South series mm -hmm. from UNC Press is twenty five books. The la not twenty five oh, of mine. Okay, the the last one <laughs> just came out. It's Michael Twitty, but they're each small books on specific, very specific Southern topics. And I did two in that series: one on pecans and one on bourbon. Um, I remember reading the bourbon one. Yeah, I did that not was know about the pecans. Fun. Yeah, I had so much fun. And then I did another book called Distilling the South. That's like a, it's almost like a travel book because it's about touring Southern craft distilleries and I mean, really focusing on the craft distilleries, the smaller startup places, you know. And of course, I had the bright fortune to write a travel book right before no one could travel for yes. three years. So, yeah, that did awesome. well. Spring Guide. <laughs> Spring yeah. Guide 2020. We'll never yeah. forget our Spring Guide 2020 where we yeah. had four pages just full of all the coolest events you could go to. <laughs> and it came out on March 12th. And we just watched. <laughs> uh, we, I was just crossing them out that weekend. Yeah. This yeah. one's canceled, canceled, canceled. And then there yeah. was everything was canceled. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are living through some strange times. It's nothing like anybody's seen before. I don't, it's crazy to think that the way this will be looked back on mm -hmm. is nuts. And uh, I remember thinking back when I would look at pictures like the gas crisis in the, I think mm -hmm. the 70s. I remember and the well. empty highways <laughs> and being like, I wonder if I'll ever live through something like, I mean, obviously oh, I lived through 9-11 yeah. and that's, that's one of those yeah. changing 
history changing things, but um, this is like even oh yeah beyond this is, the gas. Yeah. Crisis, Although I sure. tell you, I heard some happy news yesterday. Let's I was I was at a gathering of chefs. Haymaker, uh, he'd invited us in to learn about this new form of Japanese seafood that's, you know, kind of interesting and was very tasty. But the word around all those chefs I was talking to is that the hiring, the the lack of being able to hire people is everybody's a full staff now. And even now. Oh, the nice. workers are coming back. Mm-hmm. So, great. you know, we are starting to see the end. We're starting to see mm-hmm. a little light there. Now, of course, as somebody said, well, we'll have Zeta next after Omicron. Right, but true. yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Knock on wood. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciate it. Everybody go check out Tim's new cover story Follow in our latest issue. At Warm Cabbage I Salad. <laughs> I think we should have yeah. a new drinking game. Every time anybody says Warm Cabbage Salad, we should all take a shot. Oh, I think that'd be yes. great. <laughs> that sounds great. Follow it's Tim Tim Tokyo on Instagram, right? Yes, sir. And follow Kathleen. I know you're on Twitter. That's where I I'm live. I'm on everywhere. So I see you there. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know, that the banner planes that fly over wherever you're going to find me baby I don't hide I'm the easiest right. person in the world and Tim's story will be on our website by the time this podcast goes live so check that out and uh, we'll see everybody next time we really appreciate you guys coming on here thanks, thanks for, for asking me yes. I felt like my whole cool quotient went up yes, yes. <laughs> cheers cheers queencitypodcastnetwork.com.